Well, um, I've often wished that there were 25 hours in a day so that I could catch up. But the truth is, given 25 hours in a day, it's great to use that extra hour to sleep. Many of you, I suspect, did. You look a little bit more happy today. So uh, <laughs> glad for that. Uh, it is a busy time, busy weekend. We had uh, 75 people at a leadership retreat up in Wisconsin that we raced back for for the services. And then uh, we've got about 150 high school kids out on the SHIG retreat. So lots of things going on, but glad that you're here. Welcome to those joining us upstairs at the O1 and at uh, Christ Church Crossroads Campus, the Highland Park Campus as well. So uh, we are trying to get better. Uh, better is better. We are, we are aware of that. We would like to be um, better people. We would like to be more like Christ. We would like to be uh, filled with the Spirit, shaped and formed by God. Those promises that we see that when we yield our life uh, to God and, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right, the self-control, those are good things. Life works better when those things describe us. We want those things to be true of our life. How do we get there? Right? I, I suspect many of you have decided, I'm going to be less angry, right? or I'm going to be more patient. I'm just going to be more patient. And it sort of doesn't work that way. Right? We can't simply will our heart to become kinder. But there are things that we do. There are, there are ways that we contribute to our sanctification, to use the theological term. There are things that we do so that God can do the things that he will do. And uh, we have been unpacking those things. And so we start with this idea of confession. That is, that we just basically agree with God in terms of what reality is and who we are and that we're broken and that we need help. And then we looked at prayer as a communion with God, can meditate. And then we looked at uh, uh, rest, sort of both sides of this equation. We looked at rest and sort of the re- restorative powers of coming more deliberately and consciously into his presence. And then last week we looked at, at tenacity or grit or uh, the, you know, we were to, First Timothy 4, we're to discipline ourselves to godliness. Paul calls on us to, uh, to work out our salvation. James says, faith without works is dead. So there's all, there's part of this that is just, just willpower, right? We're going to be disciplined. We're going to do the things that we know we need to do in order for our life to come together. So today, I want us to think about meditation. And um, I want to do this out of Psalm 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Psalm 1, you can do that. As you are going there, let me note that the book of Psalms is both a book of prayer and it is a hymnal. It is uh, the song book of Jesus. And it was not unusual for uh, Jews, first century Jews, to have memorized all of the Psalms in part because they would sing them. And as you know, uh, I suspect you know, you can remember that song from, you know, 1972, sophomore year in high school, uh, because you, you remember the lyrics of it. And you're like, wow, I haven't heard that song in 35 years. And yeah, I know, I know the lyrics because there's, there's, that's part of the gift of music. And, and so it was not unusual for 
for the Jews to have memorized the Psalms. That gave them an opportunity to ponder them and reflect on them and ruminate on them. And uh, Psalm 1 was, of course, if you're going to memorize it, probably one of the first ones you would memorize. It is, uh, it is the gateway to the book. Uh, it's not just first. It's, it's got a sort of logical priority to it. And it is a wisdom psalm. So there are all kinds of psalms. There's praise psalms and precatory psalms, lament psalms. They're all full of wisdom, but there are wisdom psalms that sort of focus in on, on how we live life in a way that works. Right? So wisdom is sort of knowledge applied, insight applied, a life rightly lived. And, um, and Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And so it ends up sounding a fair bit like Proverbs 1. The book of Proverbs is very decidedly a wisdom book. And so both Proverbs 1 and Psalms 1 are going to say a few of the same things. They're going to say there's, a, there's an easy path and there's a hard path. And the easy path gets hard and the hard path gets easy. So you can choose to sort of do whatever you want, but that doesn't really work over time. Life begins to unravel. And then there's a narrow path that is hard at first, but, but if we pursue that, it actually gets easier over time. And this path leads to God. And additionally, then both Psalm 1 and Proverbs 1 make the point that, that we get counsel about how to make decisions, because it's not always easy to pick the path. When you're, when you're 12 or when you're 22 or when you're 35, it's not always easy to know where these paths are going to go. But uh, we can turn to God's Word for insight into how things are going to unfold. So uh, what I want to do is, is um, this is a communion weekend, and so I'm gonna, uh, I usually speak a little bit shorter on communion weekends, and I'm going to speak a little bit shorter yet because I want to give you time uh, we're going we're gonna to try and practice this idea of meditation. And I just, you know, full, full disclosure here, um, I don't think it'll work. But I think it will not work because I think for most of us, life is too frenetic. It is too full of noise. It is too disjointed. Our thoughts are too rambunctious. We have not worked to, 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 to develop the skills of meditation that allow us to actually focus our thoughts. And so uh, I expect that that, um, that will be uh, some of your experience, that this will be like, yeah, no, I couldn't really concentrate. And, but that's, that's, okay, that's a data point, and it's a data point that says, in this world that is increasingly frenetic, we have to develop the ability to, to settle our mind and to think clearly. So, so what I want to do is let's unpack Psalm 1, and then I'll talk a little bit about meditation, and then we'll, we'll, we'll try. So uh, let me read the first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, In all that he does he prospers. So, starts with the word blessed. Uh, in Hebrew, this is a plural, intensive form of the word. So blessings follow. There's an exclamation point. Good things 
uh, go along with the person. And then we get, uh, we get classic Hebrew poetry uh, with the person who uh, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. So in English poetry, we tend to follow a cadence, uh, a meter, and we tend to rhyme words. In Hebrew poetry, they don't do those things. They rhyme ideas. And so what we have here is, are not three ideas. We have one idea stated in three ways in parallel forms. So the man is blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of sinners, stand in the, or walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or uh, sit in the seat of scoffers. Those are not three ideas. Uh, you don't try and pull those apart. It's just the same idea. The, the, the person that doesn't go down the easy path that leads in the wrong direction. Um, but the person that is blessed is the one who delights, okay, the one who, who is smitten by, the one who is taken by, the one who obsesses over uh, the law of the Lord. Now, technically, the law of the Lord, the word here is Torah, refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, the books written by Moses. Or it can refer to the Ten Commandments and to the uh, moral, civil, ceremonial code that surrounds it. But this is poetry, right? So you have to, you have to think and interpret poetry differently than you interpret other kinds of literature. So in the book of Psalms, it will say, the trees of the field will clap their hands. So some people want to say, I read the Bible literally. And I always want to say, okay, provided you have a literal definition of literal, and you probably don't. So when it says the trees of the field will clap their hands, that doesn't mean the trees are going to grow hands and clap them, right? We have to understand, we have to read this, uh, a literati, we have to read this according to the letter of the word. We have to understand the author's intention. <laughs> so when, when the psalmist says, uh, that, that meditates on the law of the Lord. He's talking about the Bible. Meditates on the Word of God, right? So don't, don't, don't refine this. We've got to give the author a little bit of latitude in, in this kind of a, 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 this kind of a genre. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the word here, means to ponder, to, to ruminate, to, uh, to chew on. Uh, so so the, the, the word ruminate, a synonym here, is, is a word that is used to uh, uh, reference cows uh, that, are, that, that are chewing their cud. So um, this is a relatively urban and suburban group, so maybe you don't know, but cows have multiple stomachs, and so they, they eat the grass, they chew it once, and then it goes into their stomach, it goes into one of their stomachs, and, they, and it, they digest it partly, and then they bring it back, and they chew on it some more. They're trying to get every ounce of nutrition out of the grass. And so you see a cow, if it's, if it's sitting in the field, it's content, it's not scared, it will chew its cud. It is, it is continuing to digest, to sort of pull everything out of 
Uh, I'm sorry for those of you that I've scandalized here on this, but that's the way it works, and that's the word. So it's to, it's to continue. It's sort of a thought digestion. It's to continue to focus on, to extract from, to think about, to ponder uh, the, 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 the word of God, to continue to focus on it. So what exactly does that look like? How do we do it? So it's a, it's a different day uh, today when we talk about meditation. So 30 years ago when I showed up at, uh, at, at Trinity as, a, uh, as a, a student starting grad school, um, I'd been a Christian for a few years, and I had never thought about meditating on the Word of God. As a matter of fact, meditation was what the Eastern folks did. Meditation is, was about TM. Meditation was about Buddhism. Meditation was, was not us. It was New Age. And so I was assigned to buy a book. First day, you go into the bookstore, you're buying your books. You, you know, kids don't do that today. You just go on Amazon and you order it. But you used to go to a bookstore and you'd look up your classes and they'd go, for this class, and it was an intro to Greek class taught by Wayne Grudem, for this class, by these six books. And one of them was called Christian Meditation. And I remember looking at it and going, really? Like Christian Meditation? Huh. And uh, I was a little bit scandalized by it. Like, where, where, where is this school going? Like, this is, this is not a good thing. It had, I'd never paid attention to the 30 times that the, we're instructed to meditate uh, in in the Bible, like Psalm 1, meditate on the Word of God. So um, I didn't get it. And then I ended up in a Bible study with one of the professors, Robert Coleman. We met really, really early. It was, uh, we met at like 6 o'clock in January. And uh, I, he, didn't, he didn't have a car. One of these professors that sort of, you know, doesn't have a car. So I'm picking him up at his house at 5.30 and we go to make, you know, 15 below zero, we go to, the, we go to the, this little faculty lounge, we make coffee, we sit down, and four or five other students came in, and he says, okay, today we're going to have a Bible study on John 15, and he says, let's, um, let's pray, and John 15 is the passage about I am the vine, you are the branch, and so that was all he read, <laughs> and his eyes didn't open again, and he just kept saying, he is the vine, we are the branch, we're to abide in him. Abide, abide, abide. You know, there'd be silence for a couple minutes. Abide, I want to abide. And, I, and I'm literally looking around the room like, hey, I didn't get up for this. Like, what is going on here? It is it was freezing outside, and I'm not learning anything. I'm, I'm, looking, for, I'm looking for more content and insight. And it, it was a very new experience practice to try and slow down and ponder and rest in and, and ask the Spirit of God to sort of illuminate and bring these truths deeper. So today, everybody thinks about meditation. It's a, it's a big topic. I've shared that I, I uh, there's a, a few uh, podcasts, weekly podcasts or monthly podcasts by prominent atheists that I listen to. Uh, there's, there's some business podcasts, sort of marketplace, you know, productivity, how to be, a, how to be high performing uh, monthly podcasts that I listen to. And everybody is talking right now about meditation. 
And they don't call it always meditation. Often it's called mindfulness. So there's all these mindfulness workshops that you're supposed to go to, a mindfulness seminar. It's, for the most part, it's, it's transcendental meditation. It's, it's sort of an Eastern idea on this. Everybody is looking for this, in part in response to the kind of crazy, frenetic noise level that is out there. And I think increasingly people know that, okay, I've got to find a way to sort of lower the ambient uh, activity in my head so that I can think and I can concentrate. And there's been a couple articles in the last couple of weeks that have, that have reinforced this. There was a Wall Street Journal article two weeks ago that went viral called How Smartphones Are Hijacking Our Brain. Right? And how, how smartphones are making us dumb and we, we're losing the ability to think and to ponder. There was another one that came out um, this weekend called The Concept of the Weekend is Dying. What happens when it's dead? And it just said, you know, it, uh, I have said for a while, we used to have a Sabbath that was for rest and restoration and being thoughtful and sort of reorienting our life. We traded the Sabbath 50 years ago for uh, a Sunday. Sundays were for amusement. They were for not thinking. Before on a Sabbath, you would think. You would examine your life. You would ponder. You would reflect. Am I headed down the right path? How did I live last week? What, do I, what changes do I want to make? Sunday became, I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. I don't have to think about work. I don't have to think about anything. I can watch football all afternoon. I can, I, I'm going to not think. To muse is to think. Amusement is to not think. It's, it's a time for amusement. And I said, we sort of, we, we've traded that for the weekend. Weekends are for catching up. Uh, weekends are for doing the things that you didn't get done. And now it comes out and says, the concept of the weekend is dying, right? It's just a seven-day, it's a seven-day uh, go, go, go. And there's no downtime and there's no, there's no mindfulness. There's no slowing down. There's no sorting things out and, and allowing a deeper sense of priorities and perspective to wash over us. So, so we're seeing lots of people say, I need <laughs> to meditate. So... Um, good, on the one hand, because meditation is a command. Psalm 1. Uh, many other psalms tell us to meditate. Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, uh, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. So, so uh, meditation, on the one hand, uh, it's being talked about, and that's good. And uh, I believe it's a habit. It's one of the things that we need to do if we want to put ourselves in the space where the Spirit of God is likely to change us. So the quote from Augustine, right, we, when it comes to our sanctification, we can't do it on ourselves. God isn't going to do it by himself, right? So we're not passive participants in this. It's not like our salvation uh, salvation is, is a gift by God, right? We don't work for that. It is, it is the finished work of Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, right? It's a gift. We can't boast. We don't contribute to that. But our sanctification is something that we do. And we do, it doesn't happen by accident. You don't wake up and say, wow, I'm in great shape. How did that happen? No, you have to work at it. And similarly, you don't wake up and say, wow, I have really grown and become more Christ-like. It doesn't just happen without us working at it. And I believe meditation is one of the things that we do to that end. So 
what we need to understand is that Christian meditation is a specific thing. So it is not simply letting your mind wander. It is not allowing yourself time to sort of mine your intuition. Okay, so I, I read a book a few weeks ago uh, on self-leadership. It was a marketplace book, and it was advocating solitude. And I thought perhaps it was, it was going to be a, a Christian book, and there were, some, I think, some Christian ideas and themes in there. But one of the things the authors kept saying is, if you'll get quiet, right, then your unconscious, your intuition can give you the answer. The answers are inside you. You've got to, just, you've got to quiet your mind so that the answers can emerge. Okay, that's, that's not <laughs> what, what meditation is about. We're not looking deep inside ourselves for insight. Christian meditation is the practice uh, of focusing our minds on God, uh, on, on some uh, passage of Scripture, on some aspect of His character. It is, it is slowing our minds down. So Eastern meditation is emptying our mind, and you're given a mantra, you're given some neutral, benign word or, or sentence that, that you repeat in order, to, in order to center yourself and to try and let the noise die down. And, and so you, you want to empty your mind, in, in a sense. So Christian meditation is filling your mind right, with the truth, with some aspect of God's character. So in one sense, it's a, it's a quite different thing. Uh, I would say that uh, meditation, uh, Christian meditation, is a close cousin to silence and uh, to, to uh, the Lectio Divina method of, of Bible reading, which is to re- read a small section and to read it over and over. That's what Dr. Coleman was doing when we were just like, he is the, he is the vine, we are the branches, abide in Christ. It, we did, that, was, that was it. That was, that was the passage that we just kept reading over and over and, and going back. So Christian meditation is a very close cousin to those things. I think meditation starts with God. I think it, it, it doesn't end there. It sort of moves into prayer or praise. It's, it is, um, I'm, I'm not worried about figuring out the boundaries. I'm just saying it is a very specific thing. It's not mindfulness as it gets represented today in most settings. I also want to say that, um, that my experience, you know, one guy, sort of an activist, ADD, I've got my own issues. So my experience with meditation is that it's hard, uh, but it gets easier. And you do it hoping that there is uh, a, a, at least some percentage of the time where it is uh, transcendent. And it does work. Uh, I, so I compare it to driving my kids to high school, which I did for 11 years. Every morning I drove somebody to high school. It was Austin for four years, Austin and Ben overlapped for one year, and then it was Jason for four years. And so I had 11 years of driving a kid to high school. And most days, there wasn't a whole lot said in the car. Uh, I would ask questions, but there wasn't a whole lot of response. So what do you got today? Okay, you ready for that test? Okay, you excited about this? Anything, I, anything you want to say? You know, most of the time, there was nothing. But I would say to Sherry, I, I log, you know, three weeks of silence, 
and grouchiness for the one day when they want to talk. I said, so you know what? I'll, I, will, I, will put in, I will put in a month of nothing for the one day where they, they suddenly are, they want to talk. And, and um, I, I wish my experience with meditation was, you know, 100%. Uh, and I think that sometimes we just have to sit longer than, than I do. But, uh, but you slow down and you reflect and it is a skill as well as a spiritual habit that we develop. And so what I want to do is I want to read out of Isaiah 53, and we're going to transition from that into communion. And what I'm going to say here uh, at the Lake Forest campus is I want you to, uh, uh, we're going to spend about five minutes at this. It may seem to you like 30. That would not be a good sign, by the way. Uh, so um, I'm going to read and I encourage you to close your eyes or you can look at the screen because we're going to have images of Christ. And the, the idea that I, I want you to focus on here is the sacrifice of Christ for you. Right? That's what I want you to be thinking about. We're headed towards communion where we're going to remind ourselves of the death of Christ on our behalf. And what I want to do, I'm going to read out of Isaiah 53, which was a, uh, which was a, 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 a prophetic passage written a thousand years before Christ was born, written a thousand years before crucifixion was invented. And it describes Christ suffering on our behalf. It describes Christ being crucified. So you can, um, you can close your eyes. You can look at the screen. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to give you a couple additional minutes to just reflect on, right? A couple words, a couple ideas, whatever really comes out at you to reflect on that and to think about the sacrifice of Christ for you. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was despised and shunned by us, A man of sorrow, he was no stranger to the troubles of others. People didn't want to look at him when he was being crucified. They rejected him. They didn't honor him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Surely Christ bore the weight of our sin, and he, he owned that suffering. We didn't honor him, he was despised, he was rejected. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him the, the chastisement 
that made us whole. And with his stripes, we are healed. Jesus was crucified for our sin, bruised for our sin. The punishment that makes us whole fell on him, and we are healed by his suffering. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like pretty stupid animals, we have run in the wrong direction. We followed our own paths, our own desires. And the Lord has placed on Jesus the punishment of our sin. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is dumb before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not complain. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. We are going to stay with that attitude of that focus on the sacrifice of God on our behalf as we come to the communion table this morning. This table is open to all who look to Christ as their Savior and Lord. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to distribute the elements. I invite those that are going to help distribute the elements to come forward. As we distribute them, I encourage you to take both uh, from the bread and the cup and to hold on to that. I will come back up in a moment and lead us uh, together as we celebrate the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, pray for um, an ability to be more mindful of who you are and what you've done. It escapes us, uh, the love uh, a father would have for a son and the love that you demonstrated for us in sending your son to suffer on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you, praise you for your obedience to that assignment, dying in our place, giving us your righteousness in exchange for our sin. We praise you for that. Spirit of God, we pray that you would shape us and mold us, not just now, but we want to be conformed to the image of your Son. We want to see your fruit ripen in our life. Guide us, direct us to that end. And even now, as we prepare to come to this table, we pray that you would help us see ourselves more clearly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.